Transcendent Tracks, a podcast that connects you with stories about music's powerful ability to impact our lives. I'm Daniel, your host and lifelong music lover. I talk with musicians, music scholars, music writers, and especially music fans to explore the tracks that have inspired and influenced them most. Maya Rogers is a singer-songwriter, composer, music therapist, and educator. Music appears to have been predestined for her, and she spent her young life trying to learn all she could about her future craft. After making strides toward her professional goals, she was involved in a car accident that would change her life, including the trajectory of her musical career. Maya's mission is to create inspiring musical experiences that uplift and transform, carrying a reverence for sound and nurturing the spirit. From this place came her latest release, The Gathering EP, which chronicles her journey through illness and healing. What influenced you to go down the path of musicianship? Well, it's a great question. I think on some level, it was always just going to happen. <laughs> um, I don't remember a time that I just wasn't head over heels in love with music. But I think a lot of that had to do with my parents. Both of my parents are musicians. Um Still, but my father was an elementary band teacher. So he had tons of instruments. He actually kept them in this closet in the downstairs of our house. And we weren't allowed to go in there, but I would sneak in there and figure out how to put the mouthpiece to the saxophone on. And, you know, they, there was just music all over the house. They played music all the time. My mom sings and played piano. She taught me piano lessons. So it was just a very musical household. Everybody in our family is musical. But I'm the one who was like, oh, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> I'm just going to be this. Because, you know, I didn't really have a choice. Yeah, that's kind of how it happened. So given that you sort of had that path from the beginning, it sounds like, what music would you say has had the mm -hmm. most impact on you artistically? That's such a great question. So early on, definitely classical music. My dad, you know, he studied music in college, um, got his master's in music education. He was a trombone player. Just we had tons of records and eight tracks of, of classical music. And my sisters and I, we would put our bathing suits on and pretend that they were like tutus. <laughs> and we would make up these elaborate ballets to the music and jump around and try to be graceful as not to make the record skip. I know that's very broad, um, but like Tchaikovsky with the ballets and anything like Bach, there was a lot of organ music that was played. We actually had a pump organ. And so um, early on, a lot of instrumental music. But then as we got older, we, we certainly developed tastes um, in popular music and R&B and rap and, you know, all the things. But it's funny how, you know, your tastes evolve. And when I was in high school, I really got into like film music. And that's really what made me realize that I wanted to be a composer. I was like, I don't know what you have to do to, to be a film composer, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do it. So that was my mission at the end of high school. I played flute since I think eight or nine years old and all the way through college and post-college. But I really was interested in the composing aspect um, more than the performing aspect. So I went to the University of Michigan, not for music. Um, I didn't get into the, <laughs> to the music school. What I ended up doing is I took a year off of college and, and my parents were so worried. It's like, what's going to happen? Is she ever going to go back to school? 
But I was, I just, it was like, of course I am. I just, I just need to figure out how to get into music school, but I've never written any music. So I took a year off and just composed. Bless my little heart. I was just being myself writing music. So I found people to play my music and I played in the local college orchestra and the select choir. I was singing this choir just so I could keep myself, you know, doing musical things. Um, and again, one of the best years, <laughs> one of the best years of my life in, in, in the sense that it was very empowering because Nobody told me this is what you're supposed to do. So I yeah. submitted a portfolio of my compositions to maybe like three or four schools. And I chose Berkeley because, well, they accepted me, of course, but I chose Berkeley because they were one of two universities in the country at the time that offered film scoring as a major. The best, best decision I ever made, hands down. I mean... I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be married to my husband if I didn't go there because we actually met. <laughs> we met in Berkeley. We didn't get together until much later in life, but he actually played in my band. Uh, I had a little band. He's a bass player and a composer too. Like I became a singer. Um, I admitted to myself that I was a singer there. For the most part, I really thought of myself as a flute player and composer. I just wanted to write music. And I got involved with a gospel choir and just met a lot of singers. And they would ask me to do background uh, vocal sessions for their recordings. And then they would ask me to do shows, like sing background. And then I had a friend that was studying um, to be a producer, an engineer and a producer. And they had to choose an artist to produce, essentially. And he asked if I wanted to do it. And that changed everything. That was the moment where I was like, oh, <laughs> I could do this forever. I mean, I, I love writing music and you'll see full circle how it all, you know, comes back around. But it was such an important discovery for me. Um, just the belief in, in my voice and, and that I could sing, really. Well, you sort of answered my question because earlier I thought, oh, that seems an, like an important statement because you said something like that you felt more of a composer than a performer or that the composing mm -hmm. is more important to you than mm -hmm. a performance. Mm -hmm. and so yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm probably glad that you didn't get accepted into Michigan now because yeah. look how well that turned out. <laughs> it just, it just is a totally different trajectory, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, I probably would be playing in like a symphony orchestra or something like that. And that's really cool too. Um, but not obviously what I'm on earth to do. <laughs> exactly. So you're also a board-certified music therapist. If you would talk a little bit about that and your experiences in that role. Yeah, for sure. So when I was saying earlier that I'm so glad that I had that discovery about my voice and just being really empowered by the fact that I could sing and that, you know, I, would, I thought of myself as a singer at that time. I thought it meant, okay, you're going to be a pop star. You're going to be like the next Beyonce or something. I don't know. I wasn't aiming quite there, but I felt like, okay, I could become a famous singer. And I just had such a successful time in school. I was winning scholarships and songwriting contests. And so I thought, you know, that was the purpose, the main purpose of my voice. Then fast forward to 2013, almost 
10 years after I finished school, I was in a car accident and suffered a traumatic brain injury and kind of had to just stop life and relearn how to do a lot of things, including reading, including playing my instruments, including reading music. I would look at music and just kind of like turn my head sideways. Like, I know I'm supposed to know what note that is, but that just looks weird to me. And everything was just all jumbled. And not to mention, I was in a lot of pain and, and everything just felt so loud. And, and I, I was just very, very sensitive. I still am. Um, but yeah, so I was just kind of knocked out of commission and really depressed and really just like, what's the meaning of my life? Obviously, I can't be a musician anymore if I can't read music or I, I can't, you know, like every time I try to sing, I just burst into tears. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, and then I got a phone call from a friend that also went to Berkeley with me. And she was like, have you just tried singing? And I was like, well, yeah, but I can't because it's just it's really painful and it's really emotional and I just cry. And she was like, well, what if you just cried? Like, <laughs> just cry. And she also recommended that I listen to somebody, an artist named Laura Mvula. Um, and it was just beautiful, beautiful, glorious, just so well done, well produced, well written. And I'm a, a sucker for really good background vocals. And she, she just had these beautiful, lush background vocals. And I just remember sitting in bed and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen to it. And if I have to turn it off, which I probably will, I'm just going to turn it off and I'll try again, you know, another time. And so I have the volume down really low because, you know, everything is just so overwhelming to listen to. The first thing on the album is just her acapella singing, Our love is like the morning clouds, like the morning dew. And it was like five other voices of her singing in unison. And it just, it just felt so good to me. It wasn't painful at all. By the time the album ended, I was dancing and crying. And I was just like, what is happening? I love music. I can't not be a musician. <laughs> I got to figure out, you know, how to do this. So I think that was like such a the transformative moment for me. Gradually, I would just try to sing a little bit. First, it was like I couldn't. I just would break down into tears. And then I, I could do it, but I was just sobbing the whole time. And then the tears just kind of got less and less. And, and then I was singing. And I noticed that when I was singing, I didn't feel any pain. And that kind of was like sign number one, I, I guess you could say. And then I had a, I had many therapists at that time, but my occupational therapist suggested that I try to teach again because I was teaching um, private music lessons. And she was just like, take one student and it could be a 15 minute lesson. Just explain to them that you're just trying to recover and get back into it and and then gradually move up to, you know, maybe a half an hour and then 45 minutes and then an hour. And I was so terrified. Well, what if I just can't? What if I just don't know what to say and can't remember things? And I had this student who would email me every month and she'd be like, are you ready to teach again? Um, so we just did a little bit of everything. And she was saying how she was so excited because her school approved giving her extra time on her standardized tests because she had ADHD. And I was like, oh, that's great. Anyways, we started doing our lessons and 
it just dawned on me that things that she was talking about that she would experience with not being able to focus and just these bizarre kind of brain things. I'm like, you know, I have that too. That happens to me too. So I would go through just different tools and strategies that I was using to help myself with her. And it just worked. It was really cool. Plus, we were doing music together. And one day her mom was like, you're really amazing. And I feel like you should just be a music therapist because that's kind of what you're doing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, and I, it was kind of in the back of my head, but I didn't really think too much about it. After a while, I just kept accepting more students. And then I was kind of ready to, you know, be out on my own. I spent a summer in New York, basically just writing music and being in New York. Uh, and then I, I went to D.C. And that is where I decided to try to figure out how to study music therapy. And I decided on Howard University. So now I am a music therapist. I, I haven't been doing too much privately. I was working for a school and I did that even after the shutdowns happened. We were online and did that for a while. And then there wasn't very many hours. Um, so that opportunity kind of ended. But yeah, now I've just been really focusing on the next project, <laughs> which is this children's book that I've been writing. Okay, children's book. What was the impetus for that? And tell me about this book. Well, my son, I think just having a child kind of does things to people in, in all kinds of ways that they probably don't ever expect. And for me, I keep getting all these children's book ideas. And one of them in particular just stood out as being very intricate and just special. And I'm always looking for ways to talk about and explain big things without making it complicated, if that makes any sense. So this story is like a, a saga or an adventure, basically. Okay. Um, so I don't think the, the best audience would be like a two-year-old. I'm thinking more like six, seven, eight, that age group, but we'll see um, when it's all said and done. But essentially, this book is about a little person, a little boy, who is half star and half human and has to figure out basically how to navigate the world. He's a little naive and a little sheltered, grows up in a very loving, sweet home. And then it's time for him to go to school. And then he quickly realizes that, you know, everybody wants him to be in a box. This is, this is the way the world works. If you're not this, then you're this. You, you have to choose what you are, right? So yeah, this is all about him kind of figuring out how to be who he is and just love himself and be confident in that. The title of the book is Orion and the Remembering Tree. And the tree, yeah. he meets a tree and the tree helps him remember basically who he is. So um, I couldn't just do that. I had to go and write music <laughs> to go with the book. Both my husband and I have been writing for the last several months and getting all the music ready for it to be performed. So on September 17th, we're going to do a little performance set at the library close by. I received a grant from the state of Connecticut to do a performance. And so we are hiring a nice ensemble. It's like 10 or 11 pieces. So there's a string quartet, flute, clarinet, harp, piano, drums, bass, and guitar, and, and myself, I'll be reading and singing. Yeah, so the whole thing 
is about 24 minutes in duration if you include all the songs. This is just the first iteration of it. I definitely would like to perform it more places. So is there a way for people to get more information about this? Absolutely. The best way is to follow my Instagram, which is at mayarogers.music. And Rogers is R-O-G-E-R-S with no D. And I'll have a link in the bio to sign up for the email list if you want to follow along. And I'm going to have a private reading of the book and we're going to play the music along with me reading it. So there'll be a link in the bio to to participate in that as well. So shifting gears, just fun (laughs) questions here. If you could attend any concert, past or present, what concert would that be? So I have a fictitious concert. Um, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, I like this answer. <laughs> <laughs> so this concert would be a concert with the Sting and Bjork and Roberta Flack. I feel like I... that actually sums up my <laughs> musical aesthetic, actually. No one else would have come up with that combination. That is super cool. And I'm buying a ticket to go with you. (laughs) How would that even sound? I'm going to think about that the rest of the day. Sting, Bjork, and uh, Uh, Black. Black. (laughs) Along those same lines, which musician, past or present, would you most like to meet? I think I would choose Sting. I feel like if I met Bjork in person, I may explode. Yeah, she's on a other kind of human being level. She might be an alien, but in a good way. So you're obviously a Sting fan because yeah. you're in your fictitious concert mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. would choose to meet him just Sting in his solo career also with the police or both? I think both, but mostly Sting. I just am such a fan of his songwriting. It's it's just brilliant. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. When I teach songwriting workshops, I always use one of his songs for something. So Maya, you agreed to sing a bit for us today. Thank you, by the way. You're welcome. Yeah, so I'm going to do just a little tidbit of a song. (laughs) It's actually not even finished, but I thought, why not share a little work in progress? Um, This is something that I'm working on that I think might be on the next album. It's called Bring Forth the Light, and it's kind of been my motto for a little while. So I'll just just do a little bit. This is the chorus. Bring forth the light. Bring forth the light. Let who you truly are shine in the shadow places. It's open up your heart. It's where you'll find your faith is and bring forth the light. Did it get? Bring forth the light. Bring forth the light. Let who you truly are. Shine in the shadow places, open up your heart, it's where you'll find your faith is, and bring 
That was beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So an important question is, where can we find your music? Where can oh, we find yeah. your albums you already have? Mm-hmm. And this one you said maybe on an upcoming album. So where yeah. can people go? A really great place to go is my website, which is mayarogersmusic.com. That kind of has everything. But you can find a couple of the albums pretty much everywhere where you buy music or download music or stream music. You can find my most recent EP and then the full-length album there. Thank you so, so very much. Really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe in your favorite podcast app to stay up to date on episode releases. And if you have a friend that you think might enjoy this show, please share it with them. You can find links to episode resources in the show notes. Thank you again for joining me for Transcendent Tracks. I'll see you next time.